Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Today in history, we have found out that in 1521, my man, Martin Luther, was excommunicated personally by the Pope. I'm just so glad that Senpai finally noticed him. Welcome to What the Fuck History, where we discuss the wackiest and weirdest things that make us say, well, what the fuck history. I am your god king, Zachary, and I'm keeping tonight's intro short and sweet because, well, folks, it's just nice to be back. My name is Megan, and uh, I hope that one day I'm like Pope Senpai. I just hope that religious zealots want me to notice them. And I'm Matt. Today I learned that Barbara Walters, Martin Luther King Jr., and Anne Frank were all born in the same year. Which I learned. Oh, I did too. Which I learned today because Barbara Walters just passed away recently, and this found its way to my eyeballs. Yeah, I saw. I saw that too. That is, yeah, that's 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 pretty dope. I think. Um, uh, I think the universe took the wrong ones. Oh yeah, I'd be it honest. Always does. I I would trade Barbara Walters for Martin Luther King Jr. and Anne Frank to have lived. Yeah. No. What? I mean. The universe what always has takes Barbara the Walters. Like what sins? She, has, it's has not she okay. Committed? So here's the thing. First of all, I could name at least a couple. Um, there's one that I know about that's glaringly obvious, which is the fact that uh, Corey Feldman, um, who like notoriously was abused severely when he was a kid in like the uh-huh. Hollywood machine. Um, he was on, like, he was doing an interview with Barbara Walters where he was trying to, like, explain the extent of the abuse that he endured when he was young. And her response to him, like, talking about this was, uh, shit, what did she say? She said, you're going to ruin an entire industry. Oh, yeah, well, And it's sort of just like, don't you think it kind of deserves to be if it's, you know, on the backs of abused kids. Small abused children. Yeah. Not all abused children. Mostly abused I said children. Small, oh, you said small. Small abused children. I mean, they don't necessarily have to be small. I guess children come in the all shapes and sizes and boxes. They do come in boxes, but hopefully there are air They holes. do come in boxes. Maybe. Tell me more about the Pope, though, Zach. You were gonna say something. Oh, I was gonna say that, yeah, like, you know, a little little his, little fact about the Pope is that when the Pope dies, they bonk him on the head three times with, with a the yes, mallet. yeah, the Pope mallet to make sure <laughs> the that Pope they're mallet. dead. Yeah. Today I learned about the Pope mallet too. That was crazy. Dude, did they just do that to? Yeah, because he died. What do you so like? Although he's a retired pope, which you're technically never supposed to have one of those. You're not. Yeah. So, I mean, tell that to the Avignon pap- papacy. Okay, we're right, not going to talk right. about the pope right. trials. We're not going to talk about the pope trials, right? We now. already did that once. But like, yeah, yeah. But what was, I'm saying is, he was not is... supposed to have re- uh, relieved his post. 
Yeah, well. He didn't... It, being the Pope is a lot of work. Well, yeah, yeah, but he also... I think it was because his mental state was declining. Yeah. So I... Yeah, and he's like 900. I don't think he wanted to be on the Pope throne going like, God's not real! <laughs> or something like it's saying... It's a spaghetti monster! Saying some like blasphemous shit just because... Yeah. Dude, I'd say whatever you declining. want if I could live in the palace, the papal palace. I was gonna say... Dude, you can say whatever you want. You're the fucking Pope. That's true. <laughs> I know. You can say whatever you want. Also, if I could read Italian and I had access to the Pope archives. Oof. oof. The juicy deets. Oof. The juicy deets. I want some juicy When I was Pope at the deets. Vatican, um, when I was there this summer, I, like, when you go into St. Peter's Basilica, like, there are grates, like, in the floor. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I, I looked like a crazy person because I was like on the ground, like peering Inspecting into the grates. The grates? I was, yeah, I was just like, I I know that you're keeping the information down there, you big nerds. <laughs> Dracula, <laughs> you fucking nerd. <laughs> Where... <laughs> yeah, I was like, show it to me. All right, folks, if it is not evident in the fact that we're just talking. Um... No, we have talked about history. And we are yes no we're technically we're technically doing our job um but it has been a while since we've recorded a podcast um however we are coming to you from the long distant year of 2023 uh and three That's friends true. who talk nerdy shit about history got together to record a podcast we have wiped out all the previous year's strikes and set the counters back to zero we played an imaginary game of rock paper scissors and the order for tonight is me, followed by Zach, followed by Megan. Yay! 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 So without further ado, I will get started. Get down on it. Get down on it! So, um, since this is our first recording for 2023, I decided that um, I wanted to come back with a bang, because this story is fucking weird. But I also wanted to take a page out of Zach's uh, book, and I'm going to oh. give you guys some stories that follow, like, a similar thread. So where Zach had his, like, gentleman crimesman of history, I'm uh, just doing, like, a string. A bit, it probably won't be a string. I'll probably intersperse some dad-related World War II content in there so that it's not, like... You know, every week I'm talking about a different person, but uh, I'm going to call my segment The Wonderfully Weird Women of History. Um, Matt? Yes, sir. I'll allow this, but you find your own fucking feet. I need you to understand. So, like, I knew that you and the audience were going to get, like, pissed at me, but this isn't I'm, like... I, I, I'm not mad. I'm, I'm not pissed. I just, I'm just you, disappointed. You find, no, no, no. You just have to find your own theme music. Oh, fair. <laughs> That's my yeah, no, thing. okay. I can do that. I'll do that for sure. But like, I was, I was worried that uh, the audience was gonna be like, "How is this any different from him getting mad when someone else tells a World War II story?" It's like because Zach doesn't like own having a segment within the bit or a segment yeah. within a segment. <laughs> no, Justin McElroy owns that. Right, and I exactly. won't take that from him. So uh, That's true. I would never step to that throne. But at it's all, like, ever. you know. I don't tell World War II stories in the Japanese theater because that's Megan's territory, you know? Like, yeah. All yeah. I am is the Get World War II here. guy. 
And now, if you started telling mob stories all the time, I exactly, would have to right? See? pry your kneecaps Or like off if of I started knees. telling a bunch of depressing stories that just make everyone sad, which everyone knows is Megan's niche. <laughs> so like... Okay. I haven't done a really sad story. In a while, in a right. Yeah. But like that is where we started. So anyways, um, this story was told to me by our friend James at a group dinner. So my co-hosts already know a bit about it, but I did decide to roll up my sleeves and find out more. So I would implore our loving audience to buckle up because it's about to get wet. See, the mm, part and wild. The part that disturbs me about this intro that you've just given is I know what you're about to talk about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you gave the image of rolling up your sleeves and now I am uncomfortable. Okay, fair enough. Um, so the subject of my story today involves a woman named Margaret Lovett. Uh, as I as I mentioned, the the title of my little series within a series is called "Wonderfully Weird Women of History," and she sure fits that bill. Um, when Margaret was in her twenties, she lived on the island of Saint Thomas, which is in the beautiful Caribbean. Um, where there was a lab that was studying dolphins. Uh, one day, she decided to wander down there and expressed an interest in observing the dolphins. The director of the lab allowed her to volunteer her time there because he was impressed by her interest and diligence, even without any scientific training. So... Mm-hmm. Um, while she was volunteering there, Margaret met a scientist by the name of John Lilly, who was studying dolphins for NASA in an attempt to learn how to communicate with them. And then I guess that was supposed to potentially help them communicate with aliens, but I don't fucking know how. I mean, it might. Listen, no, we like, can't, we true, can't we can't out. rule out that, like, uh, that one scene from... Uh, fuck. What is it? What's uh, that movie? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Absolutely, yeah. The one scene where the dolphins just fly off into space. I like, was going to say, like, I mean, yeah. like if, you, if we think about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, dolphins are the second most intelligent creature species on Earth. Truly, Only truly. surpassed by mice. Yeah. Have you <laughs> seen that meme where it's like a human's brain compared to a dolphin's brain and the dolphin's brain is huge and someone's just like, which one's a dolphin's brain? And someone's just like, a dolphin wouldn't a have dolphin to ask. A dolphin wouldn't have to ask. <laughs> but anyways, so like, I guess we can't discredit the fact that uh, aliens might echolocate. Um, yeah, okay, fair enough. So anyways, uh, due to uh, this funding from NASA... Uh, John Lilly was in the process of constructing what he called a dolphinarium, which a which dolphinarium. was essentially like part house, part dolphin enclosure. Uh, um, that's what I, call I love my the room. name. Yeah, that's it's great. great. I'm going to call my room the Meganarium. The Meganarium, yeah. <laughs> but he wanted Margaret to help him with his research. And Margaret had always had a fascination with talking to animals because of a book that she read when she was younger where, like, a cat could talk. I can't remember the name of the book, but I did find it in my... Or, like, that was part of my research, was that, like, she had read this book when she was little and had, like, had always wanted to uh, 
talk to animals. animals. So anyways, their research began in the far-off year of 1964. Um, The The goal of the research, as I mentioned, was to see if they could teach a dolphin to speak like a human. And I guess the hope was that if they ever met squeaky aliens, they could get them to speak to. Um... (laughs) To this effort, Margaret lived in a hybrid house, the Dolphinarium, with her new dolphin companion, Peter, uh, who was an adolescent dolphin that had been given to John Lilly for research purposes. Margaret would teach Peter twice a day, uh, but the majority of the rest of her time with him was, like, bonding time, I guess. Uh, The ultimate goal for the first stages of this research was simply to get Peter to say the phrase, Hello, Margaret. And I guess during her research, Margaret determined that the M in Margaret was very difficult for Peter to do without producing bubbles. But I I guess I don't know what that means. Um, So, anyways, after a period of time, uh, John Lilly was not seeing the results that he had hoped for, and he He decided to switch up the ballgame a little bit. At the same time that he was researching um, this dolphin vocalization stuff, he was also looking into the effects of LSD. And he decided on a whim that it might be fun to, like, give a dolphin LSD and see if that opens, you know, the language section of the brain. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I think the problem with language with dolphins, as I'm listening to this and I'm picturing dolphins in my mind, as one does, is uh, they got weird mouths. They do have weird mouths. They got weird mouths. (laughs) And they just, like, they don't. They're just not conducive to English yeah. and definitely not French because oh. there's so many O sounds and unnecessary vowels. Can I be honest with you? Um, I'm pretty sure the human mouth is not um, made for French. Not made for French either. No, that's that's so true. Maybe Russian. I feel like dolphins. Mm. Dolphins could probably do Russian. that. Or I'm thinking, um, like one of the more. I guess the best word is, like, a more guttural. Like, where they don't have to use their mouth a ton. They can just make utterances. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Russian's pretty Yeah, or, like, German isn't I was going to say any of the Germanic or Slavic languages. Yeah, those would be pretty good. But anyways, so he had hoped to give LSD to this dolphin and that all of a sudden it would start speaking... Uh, what actually ended up happening, unfortunately, is that Peter got super horny. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens mean, it to happens. the best of us. Right? Every time like, I trip balls, I also, I get, also super get horny. horny. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel you. Um, please ignore the sound of me rolling my dice in the background. I did get distracted by the shiny metal clack clack rocks. Um, so, anyways, he got super horny, and his horniness then turned into distraction. Um. But there is a silver lining, which is that John Lilly had prepared for Peter to get horny, and um, he had two female dolphins present in the dolphinarium that Peter could fraternize with. Uh, The bad news, however, is that Peter didn't want the lady dolphins. He (laughs) wanted Margaret. Uh, Oh, oh, oh my. Yeah. Age is just a number. (laughs) 
So, um, this presented itself in a multitude of ways, but at first, when uh, Margaret was not... What's the word I'm trying to think of? When Margaret was not, you know, okay with his affection, he would, like, nibble at her ankles... I don't. I don't like the fact that this dolphin is nibbling. I, I yeah no. Teeth. They've they've got pretty sharp teeth, and then eventually he like went from like chewing on her to like trying to just like rub his nose up against her, um, mm-hmm. and then when all of that failed, uh, he did what uh most you know, dipshit fuckboys do in this day and age, and he just showed her his penis. Oh. He was just like, hey, it's a penis. Um, but <laughs> Margaret... <laughs> just, just like all Just like boys, all fuckboys, they're, they're like, hey, it's a, it's a penis. Is it, is it bad that I'm just hey. imagining fucking, like, in my head, it's just Paul Rudd's voice from that movie? That dick. <laughs> <laughs> see no, that? I... Dick. I think uh, I think it makes sense that you would think that way. Margaret realized that like it took time out of their lessons to like maneuver Peter down to the part of the enclosure where the women were, uh, so that he could have sex with them, and then maneuver him back up to continue the lesson. And at a certain point, she just decided that it was way easier for her to deal with Peter's erections than it was for her Mm -hmm. to guide him to the Lady Dolphins. So, like, she just started jerking this dolphin off. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it just, like, why not, though? I mean, fair. Like, I, too, if presented with a male dolphin's penis, would just think, why not, though? I mean, it take it's taken time. She's a scientist. she's a scientist, not but classically see, trained at all. Just really a girl that wanted to speak to animals. Yeah, she's a Liza Thornberry. Yeah, except Liza Thornberry didn't need to jerk off any dolphins. You don't know what happened when Liza got older. When the when the cameras stopped rolling, so we don't here's know what the happened. thing: when the cameras like, yeah. rolling. I think you said it perfectly. Yeah. She's not a scientist. For sure. She doesn't, like, understand getting involved with the fucking experiment okay, so, is a bad idea. So, first of all, we say yeah. getting involved in that way, and it implies that she's fucking this dolphin. Okay, let, let me, let, then that, that is a poor way to put it. <laughs> Manipulating variables in a way that has no standing within the experiment is bad science. Bad science. Well, bad science is also giving a dolphin LSD just to see what happens, but... Trying to um, get a dolphin to talk is also just bad Bad science, science right? So, I don't know, dude. I think someone had to do it. Someone had to try, at least. So, oddly enough, in my research, I did find a quote from Margaret about... about about this? The, about the thing. Um, so this is what Margaret had to say on the matter. She said, It wasn't sexual on my part, sensuous perhaps. It seemed to me that it made the bond closer, not because of the sexual activity, but because of the lack of having to keep breaking. And that's really all it was. I was there to get to know Peter. That was part of Peter. 
It would just become part of what was going on, like an itch. Just get rid of that scratch, and we would be done and move on. So, yeah, I mean, for her, it was purely a platonic hand job. A platonic hand job. I don't like that. Yeah, no, um, me neither, and I feel gross that I said it, but please keep it in the edit because I think our audience deserves to feel that pain with us. No, 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 absolutely. And I... (laughs) I always love it when Zach's like, no, they definitely deserve to suffer like we did. I I mean, Uh, I'm the person who's always like, fuck them kids. Yeah. (laughs) But I think... Fuck them kids, bro. Fuck them kids. The other thing is like, I I, I have also done a little bit of research into this. I thought about doing this story. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so hard because, like, the reason that this gets so blown out of proportion is, like, Hustler ends up getting a hold of it. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, running a, a quote Yeah, they run, like, a whole bit. story. And that gets out of proportion, and it's overly sexualized. Yeah, um, for sure. Because the Puritans fucked up. And I think, isn't it, like, isn't, sex. I'm pretty but, sure the title <laughs> of the Hustler article was, like, Interspecies Sex. Yeah. And it was it's something just, like, weird. why... Did we go there? Yeah, and it gets blown up proportion that way. But like, Margaret doesn't do herself any favors when she talks about it. Yeah, and I like I feel bad for her because because I'm about to tell you the worst part of this story. Yeah, tell 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 me the worst part of this story. Okay, so um, unfortunately. All this research led nowhere, so the funding no from NASA got pulled, and the research into dolphins was shut down, as well as the research into LSD. Um, and then Peter the dolphin was shipped out uh, to be in an aquarium somewhere, um, yeah. and he killed himself. Yep. Yep. Are you going to tell them how he did He it? stopped going up for air. Yeah, he drowned himself. Now, a lot of, like, most researchers think that, like, he just deteriorated because he had been on LSD and the withdrawals from that. Yeah. Like, were tricky. And they also think that, like, his relationship with Margaret, like, his his time with Margaret had been, like, meaningful to him. And the change up in that whole thing just made... But, like, it's kind of sad to say that a dolphin killed itself, so... Yeah, well, I mean, you have a creature, whether or not it's a dolphin, we're going to exclude that. You have a creature coming off of heavy drug use, Mm. having a complete change in environment, Mm -hmm. and being torn away from any other creature that it knows as part of its circle. Right. I would fucking drown myself, too. Like... I know. I don't... Like, I don't see, like, how the dolphin thought it had any other fucking choice. Like, it's sad and it yeah. sucks. But, like, you just took this creature and you threw it from point A to point Z-7. Yeah. it It's totally fucking about. It's a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, like, the other thing, too, is I think... I don't know how much the scientific community does aftercare. Oh, not at all. When in in terms of like, there's no cuddling um, after they you fuck ha- you. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Especially when they were doing some of their more unethical experiments in the 20th century, yeah. like 
you get your data, you kind of find out that, like, your experiment doesn't work, and even if there are living things involved in the process, the money's run out. Yeah. It's no yeah. longer viable. We don't give a shit. But it's, it's, it's no longer, also, yeah, it's over. like, I think this is, this is one of the great, like, indicators of, like, not being involved in your own experiment. This and the Stanford Prison Experiment are two... Yeah really good examples of why you don't get involved in your own experiment like i was like i was so tempted to do an episode on the stanford prison experiment but anyone I, who takes like intro to psych in yeah, high school knows all about it well you know of it but like going in depth on the stanford prison experiment is also like it is hard because it is so it gets so fucked up so quickly well it's also and, like, like What's so interesting about, not to go off on too much of a tangent because my story is over, but like, so the Stanford prison experiment is interesting mainly because like most of its conclusions have been proven wrong since the experiment, (laughs) which is just like, but that's why I'm saying like this, the dolphin story and the Stanford prison experiment go hand in hand in the fact that like it is extremely detrimental to any facts that you want to find to be involved in your own experiment. That's the point I'm getting. Maybe I should do an episode on the Stanford prison experiment and just go like deep dive. Maybe I should do like Megan did with Ronald Reagan that one time where like (laughs) when you guys try to tell your stories, I just cut in and I go, hey, I'm not done. Hey, you want to? You want to hear a little bit more about the Stanford <laughs> hey, Prison Experiment? I know that you've got a story, but here's how but. it relates to the Stanford Prison Experiment. But anyways, yeah. And it's just me and you my story, like, talking over each other yeah. about Ronald Reagan and Stanford Prison Experiment. My, uh, my story is over, and that is my first entry into Wonderfully Weird Women of History. I dig it. I think she was wonderfully weird. She did what she had to for a paycheck. She absolutely did. Yes, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, from a scientific standpoint, I see so much wrong with that whole fucking setup anyway. No, no, like, no, Zach. In, in improv, it's yes and. <laughs> no but. This is where he draws the line. This is where he draws the line when it comes to jerking off dolphins. Yeah. The antithesis of the yes and. So... As I mentioned when I was telling you guys the order, Zach is going in the middle. And this is because Zach has told us that it's not a fun story that he has. Yeah, it's definitely not Operation Northwoods. But it's also not like a bunch of stuff we can joke about. Um, Because I'm taking a little break from my usual, as Matt pointed out, tales of gentlemen and crime and the like. Uh, and today I wanted to talk about a, what well, I think personally is a very historic, important historical event. Um, one that the anniversary uh, just passed recently, actually. So I felt it would merit some discussion. Um, on the date of this recording, January 3rd, 2023, it is just four days and 50 years after the events that would become known as Bloody Sunday. Are either of you familiar with this? Uh, yeah. Only insofar uh, you as Bono whole... sang about it, yeah. Oh, okay. No, wait. <laughs> Fuck Bono. <laughs> anyway. Uh, or don't, really. Or don't. Or don't. Or don't. Please don't, yeah, actually. Just... You know what? 
not to distract, but Zach says that we're not going to get many funny Chuckles. moments in this. Let's get him so. in what we can. Uh, I heard a story once about uh, Bono was at a concert and he made the entire crowd be quiet and he started clapping his hands and he just says, every time I clap my hands, a child in Africa dies and someone from the crowd yelled, then stop fucking clapping. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's, uh, so anyways, please continue about, brilliant. you know. Your sad story. Yeah, again, like, I don't... Please continue with your sad, sad story. I don't want to label this as a sad story, because... But let's be honest, because from what I know of Bloody Sunday, aside from the fact that it is called Bloody Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, it's not a good time, and it, like, if you don't feel a little sad, then you're not paying enough attention. No, okay, I I will understand that point. I think it is... It is a sad story, and it is a sad moment in history. I tell this story, especially the fact that it is the 50th year anniversary, um, less out of sadness and more out of anger, if that makes any sense at all. It does, especially for you. (laughs) Not only especially for me, but I think that at this point in history, uh, I think look if we look back at this time in 20, 50 years... Talking about our own political and social climate, I think that I would be upset if people didn't look back on our time period in history and be angry rather than sad. So I think it's important to talk about the events that were sad, that were defining, but now that we're 50 years from them, we should still be pissed off that they fucking happened. Fair. So... All right, get into the sad, sad story. Yeah, as I said, it is a serious topic, as you can tell by my tone of voice, too. Um, But again, 50-year anniversary, I think that that's very important. Um, So we're going to give a little background before I dive straight into the events of Bloody Sunday. Because we have to talk a little bit about a little city in Northern Ireland called Derry. Now, Derry was, quite frankly, used and abused up into the point of being said to have, quote, 50 years of unionist misrule. Uh, To further educate the listener and the two of you, if you are not aware, unionism is a practice in Ireland that is basically bending the knee to Britain, um, favoring the political union of Britain and Ireland and professing loyalty to the British crown. The... City of Derry, leading up to and at the time of Bloody Sunday, is deprived of public investment with decaying roads and housing that is absolutely falling apart. Uh, it wasn't helped by the intense gerrymandering that was being done in order to keep unionist politicians in the majority from the city of Derry and in the city of Derry. Um, so it's basically this piece of Northern Ireland that is under the thumb of British rule continuously being batted about and being I don't want to say rigged elections because that's going to be you know that's a trigger thing in the United <laughs> States but it, it is they're gerrymandering and doing everything they can to at the time it's also a lot of like Catholic versus Protestant um, and the minority of Protestants and the majority of Catholics and they're gerrymandering in order to keep the Protestant Unionists in power. 
So it's it's a lot of fucked up, hey, how can we bend the rules to make it so that the people in power stay in power? Um, and those people in power are also Britain. And, <laughs> and those, as it and so often was in that day and age. As it so often was in that day and age, yeah. And that day and age, by the way, is 1969. Because the people of Derry end up getting really fed up with it, and the Battle of Bogside happens in August of 1969, where a three-day riot breaks out in the city of Derry. Irish nationalists end up fighting with the Royal Ulster Constabulary, which was a police force in Northern Ireland, got disbanded in 2001. Um, but they were a police force in Northern Ireland that was often accused of police brutality and having connection with loyalists. Um little fun fact, they were also one of the first police forces to use rubber bullets on citizens oh. in riots. Amazing. Um, and after three days of rioting in the city of Derry and uh, in Bogside, which is a section of Derry, um, the RUC, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, is forced to kind of pull out and the riots, in the rioters rather, are kind of push back into this other zone. So there is a part of Derry that's just called Free Derry, where there is no police rule. There is no British rule in there. It's just Derry being like, fuck you, we own this a little bit. Um, this is anarchy in here. But it's not anarchy because they're just like, this is our country. We want our fucking country back. Okay, fair. They end up pushing out the... RUC, so that way there's not a police, brutal police force telling them, get the fuck back in your homes and don't say a word. But who doesn't love a brutal police force every now and again? Right? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm yeah, trying. I, mean, I know you're like trying somewhere. so hard and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but in. Who doesn't love a little fear of. <laughs> The constabulary. Yeah, right. Or however you say it. Constabulary. 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 Yeah. There we I go. I love it's it when mouthful. Megan encounters words that she's only read in books. <laughs> I know, dude. A wild word has appeared. <laughs> a wild word has appeared. A wild it uses word. confused. Megan. It was super effective. It wins pretty much yeah. every time, and it's so cute when it happens. <laughs> God, it's so bad. But in August of 1971, um, there is a new law that is passed that is fucking awful. Um, and it says that internment without trial happens. It is introduced as a response to the rising violence in all of Northern Ireland. So what that basically means is someone from the Royal Ulster Constabulary can be like, yeah, you were rioting. Get the fuck in the internment camp right now. You don't have a trial. You don't have anything. I just throw you in a fucking cell. And this does not go over at all. Well, at all. It's, it turns into more of a shit show. Um, and this causes rise in actions from the IRA as well as the occupying British army that lead up to several riots and massacres that all lead up to Bloody Sunday. I think there's like four or five riots slash massacres that happen right before Bloody Sunday. But Bloody Sunday is the one that is like the one that is talked about. The bloodiest um, and the one that happened on a Sunday? Yes. 
So Sunday, January January 30th, 1972, paratroopers arrive in Derry before a scheduled anti-internment march is supposed to take place. I would also like to point out the fact that the president of Ireland had said that no marching was allowed to happen until the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Like you were no one was no one was allowed to have free speech march made that it, decree pretty easy or pretty early in the year i guess yeah no exactly and these people were like yeah fuck you we're marching anyway um so there's an anti anti-internment march that is scheduled to take place on sunday january 30th um and the march was to go from bishop's field to the guild hall in the city center where a rally would take place um, and the march begins at 2.45 p.m. with somewhere in between ten to 15,000 people showing up. People aren't fucking about. Oh, that's... Yeah, they're just like, gather up the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the march starts at 2.45 and it makes its way along William Street. Um, and it ends up, as they start to make their way towards the city center, it is blocked off by a British army barrier. Um, They had erected a barrier so that way the march could not actually make it along the planned route to the city center. And so, therefore, the march redirects down Rossville Street so they can hold the rally at Free Dairy Corner instead. They basically were like, fine, you're not going to let us into this part of the city. We're just going to go to Free Dairy where you have no fucking say anyway. Um, However... Some people end up breaking off from the redirect down Rossville Street, and they start throwing stones at the soldiers at the barriers. Um, The soldiers fire back with rubber bullets, CS gas, and water cannons, um, which this is going to be awful to say, but is common amount of rioting and violence that happens in these clashes. Like... People saw that some people threw rocks and they got shot at with rubber bullets and they said, all right, that's, yeah, that's the typical response. Like, there was nothing out of the ordinary for that reaction. And... Yeah, I just, like, I think in all riots, I, or in protests, I think it's so wild that they don't become violent until, like the authority the forces of authority come in yeah and they're just like get these people out of here yeah Yeah. it it doesn't become violent until someone with the more more of the power comes in and tries to use it right it always it's always an escalation yes as it's sort of like these people are here protesting and then cops show up and are like we're just gonna hurt you yeah, and, like, when I say that, like, some people broke off and threw stones at the soldiers at the barriers, some of the British soldiers, I mean it was a bunch of, like, 16 to 22-year-olds who were like, yeah, fuck these guys, and started throwing stones, as the younger generation is want, want to do. Uh, you know, it wasn't like it was, you know, 10,000 people throwing stones. It was a couple of teenagers. Now, I'm not saying that riot gas and rubber bullets is the correct response to that at all, but I'm also trying to give context of that it wasn't like, you know, 8,000 people storming barricades. It was a couple of kids with stones. And 
some people in the crowd see that the paratroopers are occupying a derelict building overlooking William Street, and they start to throw stones at them too. Um, and around 3.55 p.m., that is when all hell breaks loose when the paratroopers in the building overlooking William Street begin to open fire and they wound two unarmed citizens. 4.07, paratroopers are ordered to go through the barricades and arrest any and all rioters. Using heavy weaponry and armored vehicles, the paratroopers begin to chase people down Rossville Street. Uh, the commander of the first paratroopers, Derek Wilford, disobeys direct orders to only send in one company of paratroopers and not to chase people down. He sends everyone. And by disobeying that order, there was no way to tell between who the rioters were and who the peaceful marchers were. Jesus Christ. Classic. The paratroopers begin to come out of the barriers, and they start clubbing people with rifle butts, firing rubber bullets from close range, and threatening to kill anyone who doesn't do what they say. Another group of paratroopers takes up position about 80 yards away from Rossville Street and open fires into another group of people, not with rubber bullets, but with regular bullets, killing six people. Mm -hmm. It's only a matter of time. Other marchers flee down Rossville Street towards the Rossville Flats car park, where they are also fired upon by a different group of paratroopers, resulting in one dead and six wounded. Six more flee down to the car park near Glenfada Park, where more soldiers fire upon them, killing two civilians and injuring four others. In a total of ten minutes... Ten minutes is all that had elapsed from when the soldiers dove into the crowds to when the last civilian was shot. In that ten minutes, more than a hundred rounds were fired by the soldiers without any warnings being given before they did so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 26 people were shot by paratroopers. 14 died. And while all of the soldiers responsible claimed that they had only shot at people holding guns and bombs, the first report that was made was done by the British, and they had stated that IRA members were there, they were holding pipe bombs, they were holding Molotovs, yeah, and they were only firing at those people. Right. The Seville report comes out later, and that report finds that the only people that were shot were unarmed citizens. There was no one at the riot that had any kind of weaponry. And I'm not even talking about bullshit, you know, 
Donald Trump soup can shit. I'm talking about, like, they were just unarmed citizens. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first heard about, like, Bloody Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, or, like, any sort of uh, protests turning violent in recent memory, I'm like, oh, you know, that must have been pretty, like, devastating to hear about on the news like i wonder what that would have been like and then uh you know all those protests happened in boston in june Mm -hmm. of like 20 was it 2020 2021 and i remember like sitting in the living room with my mom and my sisters and we were all like what are the police doing yeah abusing power (laughs) yeah well it's I just kind of, like, remember being stunlocked, but, like, having this incredible pool of rage inside of me being, like, this is literally happening right now, and there's sort of this consensus that it is wrong with what is happening, but, like, the powers that be who are supposed to stop it are the ones who are doing the wrong. Yeah. I imagine that's, like, a similar feeling to what people were experiencing on bloody Sunday when they like heard about it and experienced it. Right. Yeah. Like what do we do when the police are the bad guys? Well, like think about it too. Like if you're watching it unfold on a television, right. And as Zach just said, it's 10 minutes. Like in the span of 10 minutes, 14 people got killed by people who are then able to turn around and say, well, the shootings that we've perpetrated were justified because they were carrying Molotov cocktails, pipe bombs, rocks, whatever. You know what I mean? And like, even even when... All evidence points to that and suggests that that's not the case. Nothing happens. Yeah. And we're seeing, like, you're seeing that a lot now in this day and age with, I'm fairly certain that the cops that killed Breonna Taylor in her sleep still have not been arrested or persecuted for her death while they were executing a no-knock warrant. Um, there have been several other instances where cops have just shot people within 12 seconds of showing up to a scene, not even ascertaining if they're in any danger to begin with, but they just pull up and shoot. And then they say that it's justified when in the moment they don't know that it was. No. So it's it it is difficult to like watch that on TV and be like I mean you said it perfectly what do you do when the cops are the bad guys when the people that are supposed to make you feel safe are the first ones to draw weapons and end innocent lives like it, it, there's a disconnect there yeah what happens when, as you said, the thing that's supposed to keep you safe is the thing that hurts you? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, but, I mean, again, I it is very easy to draw parallels, and as you should, 
don't history repeats itself unless you tell it not to fucking do that. <laughs> like that's that's a simple pared no, I mean, down like, way yeah, of putting it's definitely it. Definitely a good way. To unless you're it. like, hey, hey, knock it off, you. Unless you swipe knock or no off. swiping that shit, it will fucking do it again. Yeah. The only like, hey, way for evil to flourish. We've already been yeah. here. <laughs> the only way for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. That's how the world works. And the other thing to account, though, is like, I'm not going to say one or the other is better or worse because they both suck. But, you know, we're talking about police brutality and there is, yeah, sure, police brutality in the story that I'm talking about in Bloody Sunday. But on top of that, it's... I don't know how to put it other than it's an occupying army. Right. You can call the north of Ireland a, you know, a union as much as you'd like. But if, you know, you send in military troops to hold that union up, is that really a union? And that's not, you know, taking a side or anything. That's saying, hey, if the only way you can keep the peace, you know, if the only way you can keep a relationship going is to squish someone under your thumb, is that a really a relationship? Right. But Bloody Sunday goes down as the worst mass shooting in Northern Irish history, holding the most people killed in a shooting incident and is also one of the most significant events in what would later be called the troubles, which I don't know. I, I don't think that that sums it up enough, but I think it sums it up perfectly. Um, and I know that this wasn't a particularly fun story, but I think it was a very insightful one. We need yeah, to talk about. I think, um, I think it's always difficult to continue on a podcast after a story that, that that's that heavy. Yeah. But I also think that, like, in in an attempt to try, like, that's why we put your story in the middle. In the middle, yeah. But the other thing I do want to point out before we wrap this up and start inviting jokes back into the room with, like, you know, coaxing them in with candy. Again, as I said, it is 50 years after the anniversary of Bloody Sunday. And to this day, the United Kingdom still holds Northern Ireland. Right. And they just had a vote in Parliament, and they told Ireland, they told the Northern Ireland, and they told Scotland, you don't get to be free. And that's fucked up. Yup. Set them free. Set so them that's, free. So that's my two cents on that last bit. It's been know, 50 it's, years since I mean, Bloody Sunday, and you should still be fucking pissed. That's the thing I want to get. That's the thing I want to do in 2023. I am getting more feral energy. I'm stop. I'm going to not be sad about historical events anymore. And I'm just going to be pissed off. That's fair. That's what I'm bringing Um, to 2023. Well, if we can bring that feral energy into my story. Uh, Gladly. I will absolutely bring my own version. Uh, of feral, of feral energy. energy, yeah. I mean, okay. we all have so our own we are... versions. Yeah, yeah. It's this is feral. Um, so the the name of my story is 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 gnome sweet gnome. Gnome sweet gnome. Okay, you know what? Jokes gnome is back in the room. Yeah, <laughs> we're, sure. we're good for gnome this. Gnome sweet gnome. 
Um, so we've we've talked about the guy who invented the lawn flamingos on this show we before. Sure have. Or, or more, yeah, more specifically, we have named him His Majesty Donald Featherstone. I'm fairly certain uh, that we did that in an after dark. We okay, so we did it in an after dark. I don't like. Don't you, quote me on that, but like I I do. I feel like it wasn't necessarily. I think I did mention it in a. Today I learned, and then I don't remember if we went. Oh yeah. Down the full Featherstone rabbit hole. Well, we're not gonna go through the the Donald Featherstone rabbit hole because he is merely a an. Appetizer oh my god! Are you about to, to tell the story the about gnomes. the guy that created the garden gnome? I am about to tell you the story of the saga of the garden gnomes. Guys, in I don't give a shit about the man. I'm excited for this whole thing. Them. Oh, good. I know. I hope you are. So today, I would like to speak to you about a well-known and yet haunting lawn ornament: the humble garden gnome. Now, the humble. you are probably the humble garden gnome. Please. Uh, <laughs> Now you're you're probably thinking that garden gnomes, um, there's some like kitschy thing that prop propped up like gardens in the 70s and 80s, right? Like they're kind of gross looking. Mm-hmm. They're a little kitschy, a little scary, a L- little creepy. Uh, a little creepy. Always humble though. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> always, always. I love humble. I love that. Always okay. humble. Yeah. Always humble. Uh, but garden gnomes, surprisingly, are uh, their story begins much earlier in ancient Rome. In fact, what? I know. I'm already hooked. I know. I, you're already hooked. So the Romans were kings of the lawn ornaments. Uh, I was in Italy this August, and I can attest to the fact because, like, I went to Pompeii, and before Pompeii became Flambe. <laughs> Yards had oh! more statues in them than that people line is at any so given good. Time. Can we? We need to take a minute for like that. I don't know how you expected to just glaze over, over that. that line to just say that line and expect me not to notice of all people. It's a good. I line, love I if admit. Steve were sitting in my chair, he would be cackling. He yeah. loves Before a good word. Pompeii flambe. became flambe is, you know, I had forgotten I had put that in. There. <laughs> he, wordplay is so good. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, so they had a lot of lawn ornaments in ancient Rome. And in particular, the Romans had small stone statues of that big dick god Priapus. Uh, who was also the protector of beehives, flocks, and vineyards. And, like, I, he was a man of a very diversified portfolio. But they had, like, little statues of him everywhere. Uh, and he was the first garden gnome. Okay. He wasn't called a gnome, but the the gist was the same. So they weren't called gnomes until around the Renaissance. And this is when gnomes were first described by a Swiss alchemist, because all good jobs have died due to cal- capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I 
don't understand how you can't grow up to be an alchemist anymore. Like I read this and it was just like, oh yeah, so this this Swiss alchemist started describing gnomes and I was like, well, let's go back to the alchemy part because <laughs> like I I can't do that now. I can't go to college for alchemy. I guess they call it chemistry now, but that's <laughs> uh, fuck it, that's too much. I've been math. watching um a ton of like paranormal shows and there's this one woman who's always on them who has like her whatever the fuck it is under her name always says like phd in folklore and i'm like that you i'm like to what like how does one and what do you have to do to maintain it yeah right so as as funny as that doctorate is, you can get your doctorate in folklore. Oh, great. yeah. But, like, how do you make money as a doctorate in folklore? I mean, you doing what the fuck ever she's doing. I mean, she fair, found... but, like, other people who don't get as lucky to be on TV, or is there only one person who holds a PhD in folklore at a time? I mean, there could only be I mean, one, like the, like, like the Highlander. Highlander. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to say, like, The Giver. The other thing is, like, like I... a PhD in, like, folklore, I bet you have a lot of jobs at, like, museums. Fair, probably. I mean, maybe, but teaching? I think the problem with teaching is the only thing that you can really do. Or if you, I don't I don't know why you would do this, um, you could become, like, a writer, <laughs> I guess. You could. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you would do why it. you would do that uh, said by three fucking why, writers. <laughs> honestly, why would you do that? It's honestly a headache. Yeah, no. Um, I know it makes me want to vomit every My day. forays into writing so. are tiny because I get scared. <laughs> My forays into writing are tiny because I end up hungover. That's fair. My forays into writing ends up 50,000 words long and I'm still going on a romance book. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this Swiss alchemist described like small diminutive figures. They were two spans in height, whatever a span is. It's the size is. of your hand. Oh, that's oh. good. Now I know. I have very small hands. <laughs> I think. Hang on. No, that no wonder we got rid of that measurement because everybody's hands are fucking different size. I know. That, well, that's like measuring horses. Like this horse is 16 hands high. Just use feet like a normal person. <laughs> uh. Anyway, so there are two spans in height and these creatures did not mix with humans, oh. which is yeah, same, I yeah, guess. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> so the emergence of gnomes mixes with something called grotesques, which were small, horribly painted figurines that were placed in rich people's gardens. And among these figurines were the images of, like, goblins and dwarves and, you know, what eventually sort of combined to become what we know as a nun. So, I, I don't want to so, I don't want to interrupt too much, but I did Oh, just did wanna, you look up a span? I did, yeah. Oh, so, I didn't see it. A span is the distance measured by a human hand from the tip of the thumb to the tip of the tip little of the finger. Thumb. So it is okay, it is I the span small... of your hand, and it's average at around nine inches. Uh, it's also considered to be half a cubit. A cubit? We were talking about cubits before <laughs> yeah. the podcast. A cubit. So, Matt, a cubit <laughs> is two spans. Damn, dude. Hell yeah. 
Apparently, if I were Noah, I, I would have known it. what a cubit was to begin with. But if you were Noah, <laughs> if you were Noah's Ark himself, yeah. you would know. All right. So by the 1700s, there were wooden and porcelain gnomes, and these were very popular in household decorations for no other reason but to scare children. I assume. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. of course. Uh, I think every folk they, like, tale starts as a way to scare kids. As it should. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I just, like, don't understand why you wouldn't choose something yeah. cuter. But, uh, so, Switzerland and Germany were particularly big lovers and producers of the gnome because they were believed to be good luck and helped around the mines and on the farms. Okay. Um, just, well, just remember, gnomes like children yearn for the mines. The kids do yearn so, for the mines. Ah, they do. The children yearn for the mines. They just love ore so much. <laughs> so by the <laughs> by the late 1840s, gnomes had spread across Germany and into France, and German manufacturers were releasing like Sears catalogs that sold them. Uh- <laughs> which I think is really, really funny. They're like, hey, check out this magazine. <laughs> you want it's... this magazine full of gnomes? Hey, this magazine <laughs> is filled with at least 20 pages filled hey, with gnomes. And different... You want a magazine full of gnomes? You want a magazine filled with gnomes? It's 20 pages filled with I just, them in compromising I positions. I just picture maybe. the dude in the trench coat on the corner. Hey, you want to buy a gnome? Yeah. Hey, kid, you want to buy a magazine full of scantily clad gnomes? <laughs> scantily clad gnomes. All all of them still have beards. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's like dwarf culture. It's, it's like... Yes. Of course, of course. So one of the gnomes that was made around this time uh, traveled all the way back to England by you know, one of the aristocracy to a garden in Northamptonshire. And it is called Lampy because it's on display at a place called Lamport Hall. And it is currently insured for 1 million pounds. Holy I don't think that that's enough, to be honest. Yeah, well, that thing is insured for more than I am insured for. Okay, but like, again... It's a garden gnome, and you are a human person. Yeah, it will be here long after we have lived. I. Yeah. I just, I don't want to talk. (laughs) So, by the twentieth century, garden gnomes were further popularized. I I know it's hard to imagine more popular than whole catalogs filled with garden gnomes, but it is very hard to. Considering how much people hate garden gnomes now. Well, apparently we just, like, had different loves. Yeah. In that's the, fair. the 20th century. Like, nuclear warheads. Of course, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and hitting your kids. People still do that now. Um, yeah, but I feel like they did it more. They for sure did it more when we were... Back in the day. Like, instead of a hug, yeah, it, was it was just, just a... just a hitting brisk, your kid. Uh, hitting your kid. So they were further popularized when a man by the name of Sir Frank Crisp, which sounds like a potato. He is right? the, I love uh, that. He is the Kellogg <laughs> owner. Yeah, of potato chips. And he owned the second largest collection of gnomes in the UK. What I, I don't know who has the largest. I but don't he has ever want to meet largest. that man. Well, 
I don't know what to tell you because he's a very private uh, person. Whoever has the first, because <laughs> I don't know. He's who actively he is. being stabbed by his garden gnomes. <laughs> I mean, maybe they like come to life like at night at the museum, um, and they're like, "Hey, keep us a secret." And he's just like, "I'll do whatever you say." Uh, so this guy had the second largest collection in the UK, and he opened up his home to the public, where visitors could see all of his gnomes. Why would anyone go there? You, <laughs> I don't know why you guys are silent. I think that's really cool. Megan, am I still able to go to this man's house and see his gnomes? Yeah, you can. I think it's called, like, Gnome Haven. Oh, gosh. It would be called oh, no. Gnome Haven, though. We have to look it yeah, up for yeah. posterity. Yep, hang on. I got you. Yeah, okay. Gnome can you just Haven. look up, like... Oh, my God, it's a thing. Gnome Haven. Isn't it? There's a Twitter page. Hold on. Hold on. I don't know if it's Gnome the same thing. I don't think it is. It's not. Ah, Uber uh, Gnome Haven oh, it's in Kingsford. Oh, nope, that's not the same. No, no, I found it. I, I'm wrong. It was called the Gnome Reserve. Oh, okay, great. The Gnome Reserve, yeah. It's, the Gnome Reserve is in North uh, Devon, England. There is a place called so, the Uper Gnome Haven in Kingsford, Michigan, though. Oh, yeah. okay. So I'm also on Trip TripAdvisor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the, the Gnome Reserve and Wildflower Garden in, in England. Yeah. And the first review one star says it's one star and the title is a soul destroying experience (laughs) (laughs) yes um zach can i take a a moment out of to just like read a few juicy absolutely please do okay i need you to uh (laughs) one star review a soul-destroying experience. Whilst passing a gnomes ahead road sign, we were filled with excitement. After reading the leaflet, we imagined an exciting experience, exploring an enchanted woodland, donning our gnome hats, but that was not what came to pass. <laughs> there was tension in the air after navigating impassable country roads that was not just unsuitable for heavy good vehicles, but unsuitable for any type of vehicle, par a main battle tank. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> also, you're being far we too enter- descriptive about your trip to the fucking gnome reserve. <laughs> we entered the cottage and was met by a gnome representative. A person that's two spans high. What? <laughs> I hope so. I this this whole thing is so crazy. It's so long and we don't have time for it. I just love like, that like towards the end it says customers are also asked to count how many fairies they can spot amongst the plants. They are equally depressing yeah. as the gnomes as you find them in similar squalid conditions, such as nailed to the side of a tree. Oh, there are god, twelve. No. Oh my god. But the best part is it's the, like, my it's father... like there are twelve. Don't fucking look for them. There's twelve. I answered it for you. We just counted. We just counted. My father was extremely disappointed despite being an avid gnome enthusiast. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Anyway, so this guy opens up the gnome reserve, which is apparently a devastating, soul-crushing experience <laughs> that we've found out. Um, so uh, despite this blaring like popularity that gnomes experienced, uh, it wasn't all upward trajectory for the gnomes. 
Considering they did have heavy German origin stories, their popularity declined due to the world wars, but it rebounded after Disney released Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah. People were like, wow, gnomes are cool again. Although um, they're clearly just like dwarves. They always had been. And not gnomes. That people don't we don't know the difference. So there was another decline after specifically World War II, but then the 70s hit and the gnomes we know today emerged like butterflies from their cocoons. Um, so the ones that I'm talking about are like the humorous ones with the big hats and not the scary ones yeah. that work in the yeah, mines. Sure. Uh, so I'm so glad that we talked about the gnome reserve and like we looked at yeah, it. Yeah, now I have somewhere um, to take my son, Throckmorton, on our uh... <laughs> Throckmorton. Oh, the other thing um, about gnomes is that it has given rise to a practice called gnoming. Oh, oh. fuck yes. Yeah, Tell so me all like about people gnoming. take gnomes. Well, they take like little gnomes on trips and they take pictures of them and like different places. I um, however yeah, so that's what gnoming is. And then at one point, because, I mean, I'm going to end this on a spicy A spicy, a spicy note. Gnome. A spicy Ooh, note. A little bit of spice. Yeah, a little bit of paprika and rib rub, if you will. Uh, at one point, gnomes were very controversial in serious gardening circles in the UK and were actually banned from the prestigious Chelsea Flower Show because the organizers believed that they detracted from their uh, illustrious garden designs. Oh, man. Oh. But then people accused the garden, the garden show of being pretentious. The working class, if you will, was just like, wow, you, you guys are really mean. And then the ban was lifted. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So that was my story on gnomes. I will it was say, a bit uplifting. I like, I like your gnoming idea, uh, or like the idea of gnoming. I think I'm going to do gnoming to the two of you, but instead of taking a gnome on trips, I'm just going to get a really creepy garden gnome and, and place it on your doorsteps. On days and oh weekends God. that you don't know I'm around. I need you to know that I will kill I, that gnome. That way you open up I the door and you're like, it. ah, gnome. <laughs> I would love that so much because I was talking to my friend the other day and I was just like, I feel like my neighbors have become too comfortable <laughs> to start leaving whole watermelons <laughs> on their stoops. Yes. And they won't know where the watermelons have come from, but it'll just be there and it'll be like, love you. Bro, with like a I read a kiss. similar thing except... Uh, the guy said, if you're ever feeling like your neighbors are getting too comfortable with you, go vacuum your yard at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's like they look out their window yeah. to see you with a vacuum going over your front yard and they will never speak to you again. <laughs> it's so true though like I think if you just do one slightly weird thing and like we, uh, this is not history related. This can be added to After Dark, Zach, because this is just like my neighbor. This is my recent neighbor. Oh, we should hang team. on. We should probably. Well, let's close out and then we'll talk yeah. about your recent oh, yeah. neighbor. We will, yeah. uh, and then, guys, and if then you want to hear about recent Megan's neighbor. recent neighbor tea, definitely join us for After Dark. Which is uh, a great segue. Yeah, it's a dun, great dun, segue dun, dun. to Zach talking about all of our socials, which he will do right now. 
Right meow. Um, yeah, so a quick, as I said, segue uh, into talking about our socials. We really love doing what we do, and we do not advertise what we do. So first off, if you like what we do, and you're listening, and you've gotten this far, so I damn well hope you like what we do. Make sure to give us a like and a uh, rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and give us a review, it really helps us out, helps us get up the charts. And also, if you do write a review on Apple it Podcasts, makes our day. well, I was going to say we'd be happy to read it out and give you a little kudos for putting in the extra work. But it also just makes our day. It just makes our day. But if you don't have time to write a full blissful review of our sonorous voices then please feel free to support us in other ways like following us on facebook if you just go to facebook and look up the triumvirate productions you can find us there you can find us on instagram at the underscore triumvirate underscore productions and you can also join us on patreon uh, if you look up patreon.com slash the triumvirate productions and you'll find a lot of cool stuff on our patreon we have a one dollar Sorry, a $3, a $5, and a $10 level. If you subscribe for our $5 or $10 levels, you do get, as we mentioned, What the Fuck After Dark, where you get to hear all of our shenanigans that we do before and after the initial and the full recording that you normally hear. Um, but yeah, so please give us a rating and review, tell a friend, and follow us on those socials. All that That's being it. said, I'm done plugging. Yeah, all that being said, um, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, we are in uh, the year of our Lord 2023 now. We've been making this podcast since, what was it, 2020? 2021? 2021. It's been two years. It's been two years that we've been making this podcast, and so we're just really happy that. All of you who are listening to us are still listening to us, and we hope that you continue to listen to us as we tell you more dumb shit that happened in history, because I can tell you there's a lot of it. Um, but that being said, I'm going to close out this podcast, as I do uh, with every podcast, by asking a crucial question. Um, and that question just so happens to be, what the fuck, history? up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 